Hey everyone, welcome to Rock Bottom Syndicate. I'm your host, Joyce Strong. Rock Bottom Syndicate is about people who have a story to tell to inspire other people to uh, recognize when they've hit rock bottom that there's only one way to go and that's up. And I've interviewed so many wonderful people so far on this show. Today, I have Annie Payton. She is an author of a book called The Strength Within. Annie's out of Melbourne, Australia, and you can reach her at AnniePaytonAuthor.com.au. And all that will be in the show notes. I've also included um, a link for her on LinkedIn and her email. So you'll be able to find her, reach out and get her book. So I'd love you to go to her website and check it out and hear her story. She's a two-time cancer survivor. Um, Very interesting story. She had Ewing sarcoma when she was in her 20s and pregnant. And um, everyone survived in spite of what the doctors told her. And she's got a fire in her that just won't quit. Um, very optimistic, um, no, no messing around, just a straight shooter. She's the same age as I am. And I love seeing somebody who is launching a whole new career at, at our age. And we're still really young. So I love Annie. She's just such a lovely uh, person. And now my new friend all the way Here I am in the Boston, Massachusetts area in the United States, and she's in Australia, and we're buddies now, and we'll collaborate again. So um, Rock Bottom is the portal to the beginning of something great, if that's what you want. And I know we're all going through tough times now with the coronavirus and so many deaths and illnesses and all the fear that's happening. But listen to Annie and look on the bright side and look for your strength within. There is light at the end of the tunnel and it really starts up here believing in yourself and standing up for yourself and being a good advocate. So I hope you get that from our show today. Do reach out to Annie. She's lovely and she'd love to hear from you. And please like, share, review. That always helps. You can go to Apple Podcasts and review us there. Um, I'm also going to be publishing the video on YouTube, so it'll be a separate um, separate publication there on Rock Bottom Syndicate channel. And you can go there and subscribe, ring the bell so that you make sure uh, that you will be notified when we drop new episodes and this one too. And, uh, and the same thing, when you see us on social media, engage with us because it really helps more people see what we're talking about. And, you know, everyone's touched by cancer. I'm a cancer survivor. Annie's a cancer survivor. Hashtag cancer survivor. And um, when you help us share about it, you, you bring hope. You know, we don't love talking about what happened to us, but we write books about it because we know it's going to motivate other people who are at their rock bottom now and haven't had the experience that we've had to see that when you push through it and you share your story, tell your story, ask for help, great things happen. So we are here for you. We want to help you. Joyce Strong at Total Well Coach and Annie Payton at AnniePaytonAuthor.com. Reach out to us. We'd love to hear from you and love to help you. Um, And stay safe out there, everybody. Welcome to Rock Bottom Syndicate, Annie. Oh, thank you, Joyce. Thanks so much for inviting me. It's been a, it's a thrill, actually. Yeah. I'm, I'm so happy to um, introduce, this is Annie Pateman, and she is author of The Strength Within, and she is from Melbourne, Australia. And I met Annie um, through a book coach, Andrew Jobling, and uh, and then on LinkedIn and Facebook. So we're, we're becoming friends through social media and across the oceans, and uh, here we are today to tell 
uh, a little bit about Annie's book. Do you want to hold it up, Annie? Yes. Yes. And there it is. So the strength within. And um, Annie has some rock bottom stories, more than one rock bottom to talk about. Yeah. We're not going to tell you the whole story today because we want you to get the book. And all of Annie's uh, contact information will be in the uh, show notes. What's the website again, Annie? www.anniepatemanauthor.com.au. Very good. Um, so why don't we just get going and hear, hear your story. And if something, um, sparks my attention that I want to ask you about, I'll interrupt. Okay. No problems. Thank you. Well, my story started, I guess, 66 years ago, I was born, but I'm going to fast forward, uh, to when I was 26 years old. We're the same age, by the way. Oh, are we? Oh, terrific. Oh, that's why we get on so well. That's it, 1953, right? That's right, 1953. Yeah. I was born in Paris, France, actually. Oh. That's another story. But 26, uh, 26 years old, I was in an awful lot of pain and I had pain in my knee. I did play squash and I had a fall and knocked my knee, so I thought it was a result of that. But the pain was persistent and it got gradually worse and then a lump appeared and I found that once I started going to the doctor for this pain, I was being diagnosed with arthritis, bursitis and all these uh, diagnoses, but the pain kept growing and growing and the lump was growing and growing and it was 18 months of pain and non-diagnosis and visiting, I think, 10 GPs. I visited a, an orthopaedic surgeon and I still wasn't getting an answer of what the problem was. Wow. Eventually, I, I, I also I must remember to tell you that I was pregnant at this time. I, I wasn't pregnant at the start, but um about 12 months later I, I felt I was pregnant and I was seeing a um obstetrician mm-hmm. so at my three-month checkup I was at a stage where I really couldn't walk very well so I went to see an orthopedic surgeon and he more or less told me I wasted his time and there was nothing wrong with me and then another three months when I was six months pregnant I went to the obstetrician for my six-month checkup And he checked me out and said, yeah, everything's fine. You know, there's nothing wrong with you. You know, the baby's doing really well. Mm -hmm. And at this point in time, I was um, uh, weighed about six stone, 42 kilos. I'm not quite sure. I think it's about six stone Mm -hmm. and six months pregnant. And I already had a child, so I knew that that wasn't normal. And uh, anyway, I was so frustrated by this Point, I really couldn't walk. I called my sister. She became sort of my carer. And uh, anyway, I, screwed, I just said to the doctor, look, I'm not leaving and I need to know what's wrong with me. Yeah. yeah and I, I screamed that actually. I was screaming in his office and I refused to leave. I started crying and, you know, and that was my rock bottom point, I think. It was 18 months of pain. I had a, a by this stage, my lump was the size of a tennis ball on my knee and uh, I was six months pregnant and weighed, you know, six stones. So 
And they're saying to me, there's nothing wrong with you. So one of my messages there is just believe in your gut. If you feel there is something wrong, just keep talking to people. Don't, you don't have to accept the, uh, the knowledge of the specialists because sometimes they just don't know. So at that point, uh, they called in an orthopaedic surgeon and I said, look, I'm not leaving. Uh, you need to find out today what is wrong with me. And uh, they said, oh, you know, we don't like taking x-rays when you're pregnant. And, of course, there was no ultrasound machines back in those days or MRI machines. Yeah. And so they did take me up to radiology and they put about seven metal blankets on my stomach. Yeah. And I took an x-ray and, lo and behold, they did discover something and I was, in, I was uh, admitted to hospital immediately. My uh, husband was called. And uh, the next day, actually, it's my 40th anniversary of diagnosis, 1st of April, wow. uh, 1980. And the next day, uh, they did a biopsy, and it was April Fool's Day when they gave me the wonderful news that I had cancer. So all along, and it was a rare cancer, so my, the survival rate normally is not good. Yeah. And the fact that I had it for 18 months before diagnosis, it's absolutely a miracle that I actually am still here, you know, 40 years later. Wow. So this is where I've written this book, The Strength Within, because I did. I, I did dig deep within myself and I just said all along uh, I was going to survive this. And the doctors also told me once I, they had to do the surgery, the surgery was having my left leg amputated above the knee, that uh, I would also lose the baby because uh, they wouldn't survive, she would, or the baby wouldn't survive the uh, trauma of the surgery. So uh, at that point, um, my husband sitting beside me in, uh, by the bed, I kind of said, well, I'm going to get through this. If the baby doesn't survive, well, that'll be God's way of saying, you know, that wasn't meant to be. But I've still prayed and thought we're both going to survive this regardless. I don't care what anyone's telling me. We are both going to survive this trauma. Mm -hmm. And uh, then three days later I had my leg amputated and the baby did survive. The baby hung around. <laughs> she had the same strength as her mother, I guess. And uh, so that was I was 26 weeks pregnant at that point. Oh, wow. So it wasn't a, you know, a, a little fetus. It was, it was a full baby. Yeah. And because uh, this put the doctors and everybody in a dilemma because uh, they wanted me to start chemotherapy straight away, but you can't have chemotherapy while you're pregnant. Right. So they allowed me to continue with the pregnancy for another four weeks. Mm -hmm. And uh, then she was brought on at 32 weeks. So I, I delivered a very healthy little, little baby girl. Mm -hmm. So that's the, the crux of that story. And then, of course, I had to get through the chemo, 12 months of chemo. As a new mother with a premature baby. A premature baby. I had a two-year-old. <sighs> so my two-year-old was kind of fostered out to friends. My husband was working double shifts at that time. We had our own business. So he was working 18-hour eight, days. Oh. And he lived. We lived at that time about two and a half hours from the 
the city. Yeah. Um, uh, where the main hospital was. So I was in Melbourne and he was in the country, so to speak. Yeah. And so he was working. My son was being fostered to friends and family. Um, the baby had stayed in the, she was born at the Royal Women's Hospital, so she stayed there till I was okay to, you know, take her home with me. But I couldn't take her home with me because I couldn't go home myself. Yeah. Because I had all my, uh, I had the chemo, I had the rehabilitation. I had to learn to walk. Um, I had a prosthesis made up for me, yeah. literally yeah. spare parts at that time. <laughs> yeah, they I don't have all the high-tech stuff that, like they do now. I had literally had, I had two of these big thick belts with big buckles across <laughs> me and that's how they tied my leg onto me. Oh, my. And uh, so the between the diagnosis and the uh, being able to go home was three months. Wow. So normally, you know, new mothers with babies, you know, they, they're very nervous and, and everything and um, not sure what to do. I was lucky I, I had a ch- child. I had had another baby. and But the thing was when I got home, I had a toddler to deal with who had been separated from me for three months. Yeah. I had a brand-new baby who was also separated from me for eight weeks yeah. and, um, and a husband <laughs> also working flat out and trying to, you know, keep, how do you put this family back together? You know, it was just such a, a really traumatic time. Oh, wow. Sure. Yeah. So, yeah, so anyway, we tried to get back to normal or normal, whatever normal is. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, and also I had to, you know, I had, I had a leg that, was an artificial leg that I didn't have the mobility, of course, that as normal 26, normal 26-year-old would have. It was a, a real hindrance. It was very heavy. Yeah. I couldn't carry my baby in the rehab. They made me a, um, it was a medical rehabilitation centre. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the men in there made me a little trolley that I took home with me and I just pushed around on the trolley because I couldn't risk because the leg was very unstable, I was very unstable, so I couldn't risk holding the baby while yeah, walking. And my biggest regret with her was I wanted to breastfeed. I'm a you know, breastfeeding, very believe, believe strongly in breastfeeding, and I couldn't breastfeed her because I just wasn't there. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'd also because I had to start chemotherapy, um, you can't breastfeed, obviously, when you're having chemo. Mm-hmm. So, but she's she's great now. She's grown into. She's having her fortieth birthday. So our my diagnosis and her birthday coincide every year. Yes. So this year she'll be forty in uh, four weeks' time. And uh, yeah, and she's got two children. Oh, she you have two grandchildren now from her. Yeah, she's got two boys. So when all this happened, all I the what I was praying for was that I would live to an age where I could actually, that my children would actually remember me because so many children lose their fam- parents at a young age. So I just wanted them to know who their mother was. Yeah. And, of course, I've surpassed that. You know, I never ever thought I'd see grandchildren, but, yeah, I've got two gorgeous grandsons and, yeah, it's just wonderful. Wow. Mm-hmm. 
I, I resonate so much with you having had a cancer diagnosis, not yet as young as you were there, but yeah, the whole, all the stages of when you're told and, you know, you, you, how you think at first, oh no, this is it. And then the other thing kicks in that will to live. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So I, you know, you know, and I've lost friends in the meantime, you know, to cancer, friends and family, and it's devastating. It really is devastating. But I really think so strongly that it's here. The mindset yeah. is, is going to overcome it. And, you know, I had a rare form of cancer. The survival rate is not that good. Actually, my specialist, my oncologist, he wrote, it was a Ewing sarcoma for those out there who uh, would like to know what sort of tumour it was. Mm-hmm. He wanted to write a paper on the Ewing sarcoma and he was trying to find survivors of this this uh, particular um, tumour. And he could only find 12 people to do his paper on. So when he told me that, he calls me his miracle patient. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, look, and, you know, like I'm 100% healthy now, which is amazing. But also uh, what happened again, um, 30 years down the track, I'm fast-forwarding a little bit, uh, I had a little bit of a scare with breast cancer and... It was just a little, you know, little lump that they could remove. And that was, you know, I thought, well, you know what, I think I've been through enough. I don't really need another cancer. And uh, and I thought, what are you doing to me? And I thought with that big gap, you know, 30 years, it's pretty good, but the breast cancer was totally unrelated to uh, the Ewing sarcoma. Mm-hmm. So I ended up having three episodes on that, uh, the one breast, on the left breast. And, I'm oh, sorry, it's the right breast. Left leg, right breast. <laughs> and uh, and uh, he said, look, and they're all unrelated as well with each other. So he said, look, you're having three episodes on this side. I think that, you know, it's time to think about a mastectomy. So that's what I decided to do because I, I, I'm, I'm not, I don't like to take risks. If it needs to happen, it has to happen. Yeah. Um, but then, you know, again, just dig deep within and uh, you'll get through this. And that was 10 years ago. So, you know, I'm doing okay. Well, congratulations. <laughs> so the three, the three um, episodes of the breast cancer, did they ha- were these three spots that happened all at once or they just kept recurring? They just kept recurring. I had one and they removed that and then I had another one and they removed that because they're only um, they're all at initial stages. Yeah. Um, message here is have your regular mammogram because they're all picked up on mammogram and they're all very little. You, know, like you couldn't even see them. Uh, I couldn't feel them. Mm-hmm. Um, and the mammogram picked them up. So, you know, don't ever put that off. Um, yeah, and uh, by the third one he said no. Nah, It was over a 12-month period. It was too frequent. Yeah, yeah. Um, So there you go. Yeah, I decided decided to do the mastectomy route as well and and take it out, like you say, I don't like to take the risk if if I think that um, it will mitigate it. Yeah, yeah. Wow, what a journey. Mm. Yeah. 
But look, I had lots of fun in between. You know, I travelled and went overseas and went to Europe and went to America. I was just in America last year. I was, we did the Alaska cruise. Yes, cruise, that awful word at the moment, <laughs> the coronavirus. Yeah. Um, so we went to Alaska and I went to San Francisco and, you know, I had a lot, I had, we had a ball. Yeah. Went to, I've been to New York and I've been to Los Angeles and Las Vegas and uh, went there with some girlfriends on a separate trip. But, you know, these days it's so difficult. You've got this pandemic, pandemic, yeah, and uh, you can't do anything. You can't travel. You've just got to stay at home, and that's what we're doing. I can't afford to take risks because of my health uh, issues. Yeah. And I'm not going to take a risk. I'm just staying home. I'm in lockdown. Um, I'm lucky my husband goes up to the shop to do a bit, some pieces of shopping. We don't do the hoarding like you know, <laughs> a lot of people are doing, but that's calmed down a little bit. But uh, our government's doing a really good job um, encouraging people to stay home and it's like a police state actually because the police are actually knocking on doors making sure you are at home and, and there's big fines at the moment, $1,000 just for, oh. meeting, for meeting friends at the park. All the all the swings and seesaws are all taped up. The kids can't go and play on them. Wow. So uh, yeah, my other message is: look, please stay at home. Don't take a risk because you know. Even though I've got my grandchildren, they do live in another state, but we normally see them every six or eight weeks, and I haven't seen them for three months. Yeah. So well, we just do you know, miss Skype and Messenger, and we just watch them on the on the screen. Yeah, same. So it's really really. Sorry? Same here. Sorry. Mm. And uh, they understand, you know, what's happening. They're only five and two, but um, they do understand because they're always out, always out at the park or at, you know, daycare or always somewhere. Yeah. So my daughter's become a, quite a creative person, keeping them occupied. Yeah, the parents with the young ones were amazing. My daughter and son-in-law are amazing with the, with the kids. Yeah. Uh, well, you've been through so much. So I think, you know, it's, it's that, that drawing from the strength within and realizing that you don't have a choice, <laughs> you've got to move on. So figure it out. You've really, you've really just not succumbed to, um, to giving up. You've, you've just pushed forward. Yeah. Well, I think, of course, you've got to thank your family. I mean, my husband was very, you know, supportive, and but he kept encouraging me to keep trying more. He never sort of mollycoddled me or, you know, just waited on me hand and foot. He didn't do that. He just made me do the things myself, which sometimes I objected to, but I think it was more encouraging to do that because it's so easy to sit back and just lie there or sit in a chair and have people run around after you. Yeah. That certainly didn't happen for me. Um, yeah, so I, I ended up going back to work. I worked full-time, um, took the kids to the, you know, their activities, their after-school activities, drove my car, drive everywhere, very independent. Um, but it was funny, the story I've got with the, when my husband was visiting me in hospital the first time when I was diagnosed and the nurses said to me, who's that man visiting you? And I thought, oh, that's my husband. And they were so surprised because we'd only been married five years at that time. 
And they said, geez, it's usually husbands. They can't cope with the, when their wife becomes ill. They just leave. Oh. So they found that quite, quite amazing that he, that's, you know, he, he was my husband and he was visiting me, yeah. which yeah. I would have thought was quite normal. I've actually heard uh, uh, and met a couple of women who's, th who that has happened to, where they were diagnosed with cancer or in one case it was cancer, in another case it was uh, um, a brain aneurysm, but a serious, mm. serious medical condition, mm. and the husbands couldn't, um, couldn't rally. They got scared and left. That's a, yeah, I've got a story where a friend was um, diagnosed with MS and he went on a drinking binge for six months saying, poor me. You know, it was, <laughs> didn't actually happen to you, it was your wife, but it happened to. So. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so he didn't hang around for long either. Well, that's sad. Well, it, it, it's, it's good that he treated you that way because it, he didn't take away your power, you kept your power and, you you know, you just adapted to the situation, which... Yeah. So we, I, I've learned I have to do and and so many of these rock bottom stories is you know really the the person has has taken responsibility for whatever it is now in their lives and figured it out and it's through that and and, and uh, holding on to your power mm. and then that's right mm. think, because think mm. within for what your resources are like I didn't know I had this in me well, that's what happens, you know, that, that just, I think, you know, both my parents are Holocaust survivors and they are survivors. They survived yeah. the Holocaust. Uh, they both um, didn't end up in a concentration camp, but my mother was in hiding um, in the country in France. Uh, she lived a life like Anne Frank pretty much. Yeah. And my husband, uh, my husband, my father uh, ended up in Siberia in a work uh, gulag there for a couple of years. And unfortunately, they really didn't speak about those times. I only know of my mum's story of the night she escaped, and, of course, her father was arrested and taken to Auschwitz, so we did lose him. And I also lost my on my father's side my auntie and my grandmother mm -hmm. um, on my father's side. And um, but the... My father and his two brothers ended up in Siberia. I think there was an opportunity with the Russians that they they kind of took half of them. So we'll have this half and said to Hitler, you have the other half. Please, I'm sorry if, that, oh, if that's incorrect by all the historians out there. But, uh, yeah, so they, he survived uh, Siberia. I do know that that also was a horrible place because a lot of people did die on those horrible conditions and they eventually ended up in uh, France in Paris France and that's where my father met my mother wow and out came little me <laughs> it's been a miracle since you know your entire life really when yeah you circle back yeah. to the beginning of your story 66 years ago you were a miracle mm -hmm. baby yes wow. yes wouldn't that without realizing yeah and my daughter's a miracle as well because, you know, she wasn't supposed to survive. Oh, yeah. And back then it wasn't like now babies survive much younger, but to be under and then whatever assault your own body was under um, mm. at the time. So that the impact there on um, 
where you weren't being nourished properly, you know, with your own body. No, no. But, uh, yeah, things were, I mean, it's 40 years ago. You didn't have the medical equipment that you do now. But even so, these days there's still people being misdiagnosed and not knowing what's wrong with them. So, you know, doctors aren't miracle workers, so... I'm sure they do try. They, they do try their best, especially at these times. I mean, you've really got to give them, put your tip your hat to them because they are the strongest, most powerful workers now. Yeah, for sure. But I do believe, as you as you alluded to earlier, that we have to be um, good advocates and really trust our gut and not be afraid to ask those questions. I I was. Um, in Boston when I got, uh, I'm in the Boston area now, and um, when I got breast cancer, I disagreed with the Boston medical community about what I should do. And, um, and I, they, I had to go through a series of, of um, interviewing the doctors to prove to the insurance company that they couldn't do what I thought I needed and ended up going to another state to get um, my surgery done and treatment done. Wow. Um, so they, you know, they were imposing on me what they knew how to do, but not the best option for me. Mm. And it took, and I'm a nurse, so it took me a lot of um, rejections and fight and willingness to fight for what I, you know, what I understood to be the best option for me. And it's so far so good. This has been, you know, almost 16 years now. So, Mm. Um, but I really, you know, applaud you for, for back then for, and that when you described crying in the office, you know, I was, Mm. I was doing that and they were sending me to uh, social work because there was something psychologically now wrong with me because I objected. I cried and I was like, no, it's not that. I'm about to punch you in the throat. <laughs> I, I just, you know, you can't like disagree, and um, but you can. And so I think if if anything, learning um, how to disagree is a really good skill to develop, so that you're not, you know, that you still honor their their skills, but you become part of the, a, a viable member of the team. Yes, that's right. Yes, um, you just got to believe in your gut. You really do. And if you're not hearing the news that they're giving you, go find someone else. Yeah. But yeah. which is what I tried to do, but not in the end. I just had to throw a tantrum. Yeah. Just, uh, you just got to stand up for yourself. Goodness yeah. knows what would have happened. That, but it took that for me. Uh, uh, throwing a tantrum. Yeah. That, that yes. Got through to them, but um, it shouldn't have to do that. And hopefully. Anyone hearing us now will, you know, I mean, you got to accept the news. If, if everyone's saying the same thing, that's something else. But in my case, I was getting different, you know, opinions from different people. It's just that they weren't all in the same state at their convenience. And wow. That would have been, that would have been traumatic in a, on its own. Yeah. 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 But, so, you know, then after all this, you decided to write the book. Yes, I did. Yeah. And I did that, uh, started 11 years ago. I got, uh, I wrote, I sat down, got myself all organised in front of the computer and I wrote and wrote and wrote and I wrote one whole page. That's all I wrote. (laughs) And then I left it for about a year and then I sat down and thought, no, I've got to get back to this book and 
then I wrote another page. So I wrote two pages. And I still got stuck because, as I just mentioned, I had my mum and dad's story and then myself. I thought, where do I go? What journey do I take now? Yeah. And that's where I found uh, my mentor, Andrew Jodling. He, uh, he was uh, offering a, a, a course in how to write a book. And I thought, perfect timing. So I signed up to that. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it was just brilliant. So and it still took me another few years. It was five years ago when I really got stuck into it. I had a, a, a good session, Andrew changed his strategies, and we met up and, and uh, to, you know, and you're always making excuses. At that time, my daughter just had her first baby and I was at her house in New South Wales. And I'm saying, I can't me. I'm helping my daughter with a new baby. You know, I really haven't got the time to, you know, meet with you to, you know, talk about writing my book. And, and he pretty much said, look, you've put it off for so long. We're definitely meeting. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> uh, so I said at the time where I thought the baby would be asleep and the mother was all right. And anyway, we sat down. It was the best session ever. And next thing we just talked about, what happened now, what happened now, what happened now, what happened then? And next thing you know, I had 20 chapter headings in one session. Oh, it was just brilliant. And uh, after that, we, you know, said thank you and thanks so much. And my daughter's computer wasn't working, but I was so pumped. I just got a pad and a pen and I just started writing. I started with that first chapter heading and I just started writing. And? <laughs> with a pen, yeah, with a pen, <laughs> an old-fashioned thing, you know, where you write with a pen. Oh, yeah, back in the day. <laughs> and I wrote, I ended up filling three chapters. Yeah. And I was there for two weeks. I did three chapters and then on the plane I kept writing with my pen. And then I got home and then I got on my computer and I started writing on the, on the computer. Wow. And uh, so that took 18 months and I found an editor, a brilliant editor, a young woman called Ailey. And uh, with her, I ended up, she said, oh, you've missed this bit out, you've missed that bit out, and I added another seven chapters. Oh, my. Now, how did so you find I, your editor? Is that something Andrew helped you with, or did you go out and search for that? A friend of a friend. Okay. It's a friend of a friend, yeah. A friend. She edited a friend of mine's book, yeah. and she thought, uh, she suggested uh, early, and we had a phone call, and. She really interviewed me. She, you know, she's going to put a lot of time in my book. She wanted to think it was a worthwhile project. Yeah. yeah. And because she worked full time as well, so she was going to give up a lot of her spare time. And, uh, yeah, so 27, yeah, so we added an extra 20,000 words and seven chapters with her yeah. editing. Yeah. So here it is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so beautiful. Yeah. So how does it feel for you now to be an author and having finally accomplished this this book? Because I know Andrew's known as accidental author because he never meant to write a book, and I think he's done eight of them. Yes. So how does it feel for you now? What has this done for you? Well, for me, it's almost like giving birth to another baby. That's how I felt. Oh, wow. Just so excited. Um do you know, it was really difficult for me to talk about my story. People, because I walk with a limp and people say, oh, what, uh, what, oh, you, did you hurt yourself? I go, no, 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 I've just got a sore hip. Yeah. Yeah. And I didn't, I didn't want to tell people, you know, I had cancer. And 
So that was the hardest thing was actually, like I'm doing now, really putting myself out there and talking about my story. That I found very difficult to do. Why do we do that? Why do you think people do that, are afraid to talk about those kinds of things? I think it would depend who it was. It was people I knew that's fine. They all know the story. But a stranger, you're only going to meet them for five minutes. And then once you start talking, then they want to know more and more and more. And you just, you know, it's a lot. Why, why do I need to share my story with a stranger I'm never ever going to see again? Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, and I just didn't want to get into that that connection or engage with them. Pretty yeah. Yeah. And even even like I do Toastmasters, which is a public speaking thing, and I couldn't even talk about it in my speeches. Wow. I didn't even talk about me in my speech. I talked about everything else. I just I don't know. I, I just don't know why. Some people like telling the whole world all about themselves, but so I just wasn't like that. So this has been quite challenging for me, but I have been talking about it now for four weeks since my book has been published, and that's why I actually joined Toastmasters. I joined Toastmasters 11 years ago because I thought, well, one day I'm going to write a book and that day I'm going to have to talk about it. Yeah. So I needed to improve my public speaking and confidence skills. So, yeah, yeah. but I'm okay now. Um, this has been a great opportunity with you today, Joyce. So, yeah, it's just been wonderful. So I hope my, my message really is never give up. Believe in your gut yeah. um, and just believe in yourself because even though you think, well, it is rock bottom. That's the bottom. You're now the only way is up after that. And uh, especially at these times, just just listen to the authorities. They they just want you to stay home. So stay home. Catch up. You catch up on your reading. Read your books. Play Monopoly. Spend time with your kids. Everyone complains about not having time to do anything. Well, they, now you have. You've got all the time in the world to catch up on all the things that you wanted to catch up on. Write a book. Yeah, write a book like I did. Yeah, write a book. <laughs> oh, you're so lovely. I really have enjoyed getting to know you and oh, about thanks, how, how it all transpired and and see what beautiful, you know, beautiful family came out of all this. Uh, just yeah. one miracle after another. And it just makes me have so much hope when I hear these kinds of stories. And yours is just absolutely beautiful. Well, that's the message of my book, that there is hope and there is a light at the end of the tunnel. So make sure you see that light and just keep walking towards it because yeah. you'll get to the other side. Your cover, isn't that what that picture yeah. is? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's the light yeah, at the end of the tunnel. Yeah, I well, I think we're about out of time. So thank you so much for sharing this story, sharing about your book. And anybody wants to get the book, I'll put a link in. It's Is it available on Amazon or where can It is on Amazon, um, Barnes & Noble, yeah. um, Book Depository, all those internet okay. uh, retailers. There and links to your website and how to reach you. Mm. Uh, and it's also available on Kindle as well. Yes, yes. Mm. Mm. Very nice. Well, Annie, thank you for spending some time with me. And oh, thank you. The story, and I, I'm glad that you've um, trusted me to. Oh, 
Yeah, absolutely. I've watched a couple of your videos, so I could just get an idea of your interview style, but it's, it's yeah, it's just lovely. It's so relaxing. Yeah, thank mm. you very much. Mm. All right, well, be well. Okay. Bye. Hey, everyone. Joyce Strong back again just to say thank you for tuning into the podcast. I want to remind you that you can visit me at TotalWellCoach.com, which links to all of my social media and my offerings, my Inner Circle membership, which is a an entry-level way to get involved, get coaching, and get all my classes for one low monthly fee. And if you want more, work with me one-on-one with intensive nutrition and lifestyle so that you can opt out of chronic disease, then get in touch with me and we'll talk about how that happens. We spend a lot of time together. I want you to join the one-on-one coaching if you're really committed to making a lifestyle change and you want a guide and a support and a friend to walk with you in this journey. You're going to do the work. I'm going to support you. Um, You already have what you need inside you to make these changes. So do reach out to me at TotalWellCoach.com. I love it when you subscribe and share and comment on all my um, YouTube and on Apple Podcasts and all those places because it elevates my frequency and it gets more people to hear and see what I do. So please, please, please. I really, it means the world to me if you would help support me that way because you're helping support my entire network. I'm here for you if you need me. So thanks again for tuning into the podcast and reach out. Love to hear you. Love to get your comments. Love to get your DMs. Love to get your emails. Any way I can help, let me know. That's what I'm here to do. I love to serve. So thanks again.